the Commonwealth Club of California congratulates the class of 2021. We know how much you want to stay connected with the issues and influencers that matter most. That's why we're offering all high school and college graduates in the class of 2021 a free one-year membership in the club. From politics to social justice, climate to pop culture, membership in the Commonwealth Club opens up new worlds of learning and the chance to interact in person and online with today's headline makers and people like yourselves who care about what's going on in the world. Claim your free membership at commonwealthclub.org grads. And join us. We look forward to welcoming you to the club. Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Good afternoon and welcome to the Commonwealth Club of California. I'm Carolyn Weisinger, the Education Coordinator for the club. We are happy to have you here for today's program, How to Raise Civically Engaged Children. This program is presented by Creating Citizens, an initiative of the club's new education department. We are so excited to present this exciting multi-generational panel that focuses on the foundation of creating citizens, our families. The Commonwealth Club has produced more than 550 online programs since the beginning of the pandemic. And although we are slowly returning to in-person programming, we will continue to share our events online in the future. Please head over to the commonwealthclub.org slash events to see what we have coming up online and in person. If you enjoyed today's program and want to learn more about Creating Citizens, please email us at education at commonwealthclub.org and continue today's conversation by using the hashtag Creating Citizens when you tweet. Now it's my pleasure to hand this over to today's moderator, Kimberly Ellis. Kimberly is the director of the San Francisco Department on the Status of Women. She has been dubbed the most powerful non-elected person in California democratic politics. She launched Unbought and Unbossed as an incubator for political disruptors in 2018. But most importantly, she is also a mom. And with that, take it away, Kimberly. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Ms. Carolyn. And I want to thank uh, the Commonwealth Club and Creating Citizens Initiative for your support of today's program. I want to thank all of you who are joining us virtually. And of course, I want to thank all of the parents, all of the moms who are here, and all of the, the kids who have joined us for what is sure to be a really, really inspiring and engaging conversation. And so with that, I want to say before we begin that I, in honor of today's show, wore my uh, t-shirt, which is uh, Harriet Tubman. And um, to me, uh, one of the reasons why I was really excited to host this conversation is because there are so many reasons why um, young people in particular are inspired to get involved civically uh, in our world. And so I'm just really grateful uh, for the opportunity to moderate today's conversation. So with that, I want to jump right in. I want to start by asking our, our parents, um, our moms today, what do you do in the world that we live in? And more importantly, how do you do it? And so with that, I wanna, I wanna kick it over to um, someone who I know personally and is a very dear friend. I refer to her, many of us refer to her as Queen Latifah. Uh, so Queen, if you would start us off and then we'll keep moving it along. 
Well, I love that um, I'm on this panel with you all. And when I got the title, I got to say, I was like, I don't know. I don't know. One thing I do know is that I'm a good mom. Um, uh-huh. and, and, I, and one of the things that um, inspires me to raise the two little girls that I have, one is not little, she's on the screen now and she's 25 and you'll meet her, um, is a poem. And Amina, you know this poem. I'm not going to read the whole thing, just a few lines. But when I feel like I don't know what to do, how am I going to ensure that these children see bigger and feel bigger and love bigger than me? I remember uh, Khalil Gibran's poem where he says, you know, your children are not your children. They come, they have the sons and the daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but they are not from you. And though they are you, they don't belong to you. Two more lines. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts. They have their own thoughts. You may house their bodies, but not their souls for their souls dwell in a place of tomorrow. Amina knows every word of this poem because as a 19 year old mother, plus, 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 I would sing the Sweet Honey in the Rock version to her, understanding that my job was to build her because she doesn't belong to me. She belongs to the world that she absolutely is responsible for making better. Um, And that is what I believe I owe her. And I have a 10-year-old daughter, and she knows those words as well, that our lives should be lives of service. Thank you for that. Um, I want to turn it over uh, to you, uh, Amber, and share with us a little bit about you, what you do in the world, and how you do it. Yeah, so first of all, shout out to everybody on this panel and also to anyone who is not on this panel doing the great work every single day. I'm just honored to be here and honored to share this space with you guys and your kids and my own kid. Um, So I show up in the space, Latifah's words like rang so true in my ears. Um, For me, parenting is a gift. So what gift am I going to present to society uh, once I release this individual? And in my case, I have three individuals. Once I release my three individuals onto the world, right? What fires are they going to set? Who are they going to inspire? Who are they going to collaborate with and work with? And so for me, it's more of like, okay, you've spent this time in my incubator. It is now time for you to go out and do something with other people, not just with yourself. And so um, that's just essentially how I come into motherhood, um, and just go into everything that I do. Thank you for that. And Garvey and Amina, you you two beautiful spirits have inherited queens as mothers. They are giants. They, they stand big and strong and tall and boldly uh, in this world that we live in. How has your, your mom impacted or influenced how you see yourself and how you see the world. And Garvey, I'll start with you. Um, My mom is a big influence for me, um, not only because she's my mom, but because she teaches me and she also looks after me. So the things that um, she's read, the things that she's made is all inflicted back on me because I'm always around her and she has to also give me skills to go out into the world. Um, Seeing her as a motivation that I can do great things as well. Um, And it's a bigger motivation because she's related to me. So I think, yeah. 
Yes, yes. Amina. Yeah, um, it's, it's, that's a very big and loaded question uh, in the best way. I think that seeing my mother work so hard um, and seeing the impact of her work, which I also think is really important, teaches me um, not just that you have to work hard, but that you have to find a reason to, to do that work. You know, who are you doing this work for? Um, and it's, it's so funny that my mom brought up that poem because I was going to bring up that poem and... <laughs> <laughs> I swear I already had it planned out. Um, but, you know, really like thinking about myself and my relationship with my mother and every and my parents and everything that she has taught me and how I'm going to teach the next generation after me um, that I belong to everyone else. I don't belong to my parents. I may not. I mean, I, I am me and I am myself, but I don't only belong to me. I belong to everyone because I have abilities that I need to use to serve others. And that is something that um, my mom taught me and really kind of the North Star that I used to drive in, in my life. So that's, I think, the really the foundation that um, my mom taught me. Yeah, thank you. And, and all of you have sort of touched on um, this a little bit. So let's just dig a little deeper. Let's talk a little bit about your leadership path. Uh, and the path to leadership and sort of where you find yourself uh, today. Um, Latifah and Amber, if you could just speak to what your leadership path has been and how intentional were you in your child's path being either similar to your path or different than, um, or even a combination of both. Um, and so with that, let me start first with you, Amber, and then we'll move over to Latifah. Yeah, I would say, you know, my leadership path started with education. Um, so I started my whole career as a PE teacher and health teacher and varsity coach. Um, I was a former college athlete. So for me, it was like, oh, yeah, of course, I'll go into teaching and coaching. This is great. Um, I think the gift to be able to stand in front of a room of students um, and them challenge you and you challenge them, definitely forces you to evolve your own understanding of the world. I was a young teacher as well. So like, you know, I'm in there with them, learning with them, um, you know, and then also after that, like leaving education and then going into like working in, at a curriculum resource, right, at iCivics, you know, just seeing how like, okay, how do I impact more people? How do I bring more people in? How do I grow my ability to collaborate and engage others around passionate uh, concepts, right? Um, and then, so I think for me, the evolution of my leadership is education. That's at the root of it. Like, what, what can I teach? How can I trade skills? How can I trade um, uh, understandings and resources and opportunities with other people so that I can cross-pollinate with others. And I bring that into my, you know, parenting as well, right? Like, I'm not just dictating, right? Uh, in education, we call it a sage on the stage, right? Or a guide on the side. You know, for me, I'm a guide on the side in this motherhood journey. I'm not telling them what to do. I'm asking them, you know, okay, well, tell me more about what you think. Why do you think that? Let's go on this journey together. So, you know, education is at the root of my leadership. And I would say I take that into parenting as well. Ah, thank you for that. 
Atifa. I love the question. And I'm looking at Amina. Um, and it's, it's a difficult one. You know, I've, um, you know, at 44, you know, had a number of amazing, amazing opportunities to serve. And, you know, from leading a nonprofit um, organization focused on developing the self-determination of girls. And the Young Women's Freedom Center was an, an opportunity for me to lead a, a, a lot of young women across the city and frankly, the state. Um, and Amina was just a little girl and she would, I was the executive director and she would come and she was at every meeting in the community. She was in the Tenderloin she was in the mission. Um, she was at protests. Um, she was at Saturday study group meeting. She um, was at daycare for longer than she should have been because I was running late supporting a young woman in crisis, you know, times a hundred. And I remember when I was working for now Vice President Harris, she was the DA, and I had not finished some casework. Um, it was then DA Harris said, go get your baby and bring her back. The work has to get done, right? And that ethic, I think I've, I've, I've kept, um, even in the course of many crises that happen, um, as being a mom and being a Black woman, you face obstacles. And I've, I've learned through these leadership positions now being an elected and running a foundation, a philanthropic institution, um, I know that while you know our 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 lives have changed, I can pay my bills on time. All of those things can happen, but my leadership journey is still continuing. Um, not just as a professional and as a servant, but as a mother. Um, one of the things that I learned in our work that it is extremely important to physically and spiritually um, use yourself and touch people, physically touch people. As a mother, um, I, I hug and touch maybe too much my children. I want them to understand um, that we are, that, that not only as people of grace, that, but we must love each other, um, that, that we must support each other, both as family and in community. Um, and they continue to teach me. Uh, they continue to teach me the things um, that I am too blurred to understand. Um, and I consider myself to be a student of my children. Um, and although I feel like I have shared with them politics, shared with them the morality of, of, of caring about self and yet being selfless, um, what I am learning from Amina as, again, a law student, um, she's a better writer than I am, right? She's teaching me um, how to do better time management so that, again, we can both be in service in different ways. She is a, almost a co-parent to my 10-year-old with me. So leadership, I think, in spaces, both in community and our homes, I think leadership should be shared. So my thoughts. Yeah, thank you for that. Well, Suzanne, I'm going to bring you in now. I know we were, we were waiting to see if your son was going to join us, and I know he was having technical difficulties, and so I don't think he's going to be able to join us, but I want to go ahead and bring you into this conversation, too, um, as a parent. Share with us a little bit about what you do in this world, in this crazy world that we live in, and, and how you do it. Thank you, first, for including me. Um, and I'm in awe to be on this panel um, with these strong women and their children. Um, and, you know, my title around the house is parent. Um, I have a little different journey. Um, I transitioned um, when my son was in the sixth grade. And he is an 18-year-old. He is going to be entering Cal Poly uh, just in a few weeks. We're going to take him down there. So we were very excited for him. And, you know, I think I had two... I had two different stories going on. Um, the first story of, um, I was always, uh, any, any organization I was in, I was a leader. I was 
working for the unhoused. Um, I was working for other people's rights. I attended Howard Law School because I was so interested in civil rights. However, I had a secret about who I was, and I wasn't living an authentic life. And so my first stage of leadership was for other people. Um, and and uh, as far as my son went, you know, he went everywhere with me. We, if we were working for the warming shelter, he was there. He was there doing the work. And I think that was great. Um, I think that gave him a base of knowing that we we're about more than just us. We're here to do some work for other people. Um, however, my first part of that journey was all centered on training. And some of that training was great. I was giving him, but some of that training was born out of fear. You know, I had fear about men um, and I was always training him to, uh, to be able to avoid the pitfalls of manhood or, or, And so when I transitioned, a great thing happened at our house. It quit being about me training him, and it became about me leading an authentic life. We tell our children all the time, you know, you can be anything. You are great. You just be you. But then I wasn't doing myself. So I transitioned, and one day he looked at me. I was trying to train him, and he looked at me, and he said, you know, if you get to be you, I get to be me. And wow, that was um, was the start of – that's the only reason I should be included in this panel because that was the start of of real of a real education of both of us and a real journey towards towards being different people. So, wow, that's powerful uh, that he he looked at you and said, "If you get to be you, then I get to be me." Um, so beautiful. Um, well, let's continue on. And Suzanne, I'm going to start off with you and then rotate back around. Um, what has been your approach as far as encouraging your son to think civically about the world that we're in? You know, so so those of us who are, I will say, a little bit more seasoned, uh, we grew up um, having civics um, as one of the core classes that we had to take. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, you don't find, you're lucky. Uh, quite honestly, if you find civics being taught uh, in our schools, certainly in the public schools, so so we have to be um, uh, more intentional about teaching civics at home. And so, talk a little bit, Suzanne, about sort of what you've done as a parent to to encourage your son to get more civically engaged in the world. You know, I think first of all, we we taught him a lot about his history. We're from you know, we we live in Marin County in a very um, privileged, uh, mostly white community. Um, we come from Kentucky. We moved here. We we moved here about 14 years ago, and um, I come from. I was adopted into a blue collar family, and um, uh, we wanted him to have a bigger life. And we, as soon as he was able, we started having those conversations about a bigger life, about a bigger world, about a, you know, about what it meant to be from who were we from and where we were going as a family. And um, I think that helped set the table. Um, he did enjoy, thank God, he, he enjoyed politics. He enjoyed having um, very difficult discussions about different people. And, and I think, I think at some point, like, I think at some point it kind of goes hand in hand with what I said before. At some point it became that I wasn't telling him anymore. We were discussing it. You know, I don't, I didn't know. I thought for a little bit there that I knew a lot more than him. Turns out, you know, he's, his, his, his friend, his, his friend group is much more diverse than mine was. 
his friend group can put on different hats. They can, as far as gender, sexuality, political beliefs, they, they don't get typecast. They are in an active conversation about who they are going to be. So I think, I think giving him the room to, to um, have his own opinions. I mean, the last presidential election, I was a Biden supporter and my son was a Bernie Sanders supporter. And I heard some, some of these great things come out of his mouth and I heard some bad things. <laughs> Quite frankly, I heard some of the old reasoning come out of my, you know, about safety, about making sure we win, about what's on the line. And, he, and what was coming out of his mouth was about, about changing this world and about equity. So, you know, and I, I hope that, I hope that we started that discussion with him, but I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's, He's going to go have a much better discussion and, and a much better outlook than, than I do. Wow, that's beautiful. Out of the mouths of babes. Um, okay, Tifa, what, um, what have you done and what has been your approach in terms of, of encouraging Amina? I know Amina, like so many of our kids, sort of grew up when they were in the strollers, when they were in the little snuggies on our chest, uh, sort of knee deep in protests for workers' rights and, and minimum wage and what have you. But what other things besides sort of planting those seeds subconsciously, uh, what else have you done to encourage Amina to be civically engaged in this world? Amina, I actually want to ask you that. Um, yeah, because I, I know what I think I did. But <laughs> why, why don't you? Why don't you? Why don't you share? Um, I think the best. I don't know. If, well, it definitely was not intentional. I think that if there was any way to do it differently, um, maybe it would have been different. But my mom, because of the circumstances that we were in, had to take me everywhere. Um, kind of alluding to what you were talking about, Kimberly, where. Um, I was at all the protests and the healing circles and the board meetings, and I was there. And I think that um, even though almost all of that time I was doing something else, I was coloring, I was reading, I was on my phone when, you know, phones really became bigger. Um, I was picking up things. I was listening and I took in that information and I saw how work affects the community. And, um, and so I think that that was a really, really big part. It, I, I really don't think it was intentional because if my mom could have afforded daycare, she would, she probably would have done that, but she couldn't. And, and I think that like, her being forced to take me there while very difficult for our family and I'm sure very difficult for her. I saw so much um, and I learned so much, probably more than I maybe I should have been learning, but it, it I don't want to say it matured me, but it opened my eyes at a very young age to the, the strife and the, the difficulties, but also the beauty of the community and the things, the, the beauty of the struggle. Um, though that's a can be a problematic statement in itself, but um, the importance of being engaged. You can't afford not to be engaged. Every single thing that you are doing is being legislated. There's policies, there's opinions, there's lobbyists. Like you can't walk down the street without something affecting your life. You just can't afford it. And then when you, instead of learning later, when you grow up, uh, with that idea, as all the, the moms here have, the parents here have instilled in their children, I think that that, um, you know, starting from there, you can only go up. So 
Um, Mom, if you want to augment, I don't know. But that, <laughs> that's what it was for me. I would have thought, though, that Amina would have gotten sick of um, community work and being in law school, maybe a thought of like getting a fancy job, but you want to talk a little bit about what you're doing, what you're going to do or what you're already doing. And then I'll give it back to Kimberly, sorry, because it, it, there's a pathway there. I'll be quick. So um, I, I will say there was a time where I was like, I don't know if I was sick of community work, but I hated being dragged around. My mom was like, this was when I was maybe nine or 10 or even younger she was like you would be a great lawyer like this is what I wish I could be a lawyer I wish I could go to college but I can't and you need to do it because I couldn't and I would be like I don't want to be a lawyer I want to be a writer I want to be a novelist and those are still things you know I would love to do but um there was a point in my life it may have been towards the end of high school and then it kind of develops throughout college was um looking at my strengths and, you know, always knowing that I wanted to help my community in some kind of way. There was a long time where I wanted to be a doctor, but I was like, even, even then I'm going to go into health policy and I'm going to, you know, talk about the, the, the dangers that my communities face and all sorts of stuff. Um, you know, you just, it, so there's a path where I rebelled and I kind of came back in my own way. And eventually I was like, actually, I think my strengths suit being a lawyer but even then, you know, do I want to go to a firm and just do pro bono work when I have time or do I want to dedicate my life to um, to this kind of service? And I think both avenues have merit, but um, just to, I guess my mom kind of hinted at it, but um, I'm strongly looking at becoming a public defender. I worked in a public defender's office this last summer and I'm going back to another county uh, next summer. And, um, you know, that's the, the kind of service that I don't think I ever really thought I would do. But when you have a strength and a strong suit and an interest, because um, you should still love what you do, I think that you kind of have to follow that towards your North Star. And I went through lots of phases where I had no interest. I wanted to help people, but I didn't want to do what my mom was doing. And now I'm kind of doing it. But, you know, just with with thankfully, because of my mom, a couple extra degrees in hand and so on and so forth. <laughs> I love that. What a beautiful, what a beautiful story and pathway and journey um, that, that landed you where you are today. Um, Amber, yeah. share with us a little bit what you've done to encourage Garvey to, to be civically engaged and, and aware in this world. Yeah, so we're in the throes of it right now, so we haven't <laughs> come to the uh, the climax of the pathway just yet. But Garvey and our sisters, you know, we live in a democratic space in our home, right? So we treat our home as if it is a dem democratic space. So obviously, there are rules still, and many of those rules are agreed upon. Um, we also treat our space as a civic space and understand that anywhere where people are gathered, civics is happening, right? Um, there are processes that are civic processes that, you know, I'm trying to teach them about, uh, you know, understanding how power works, understanding how you can combine your power with other individuals so that you can get things done, right? Understanding the path, right? So yes, we want to make sure that we go out and we protest and we listen to our community, 
but we also want to make sure that we follow that up with voting for the right people, with under, with following up on the folks that we voted for to make sure that they're doing all the things that we've asked them to do, right? Um, you know, figuring out, uh, you know, where are we situated in the world and how do boundaries change, right? And understanding that, um, understanding what is a citizen to begin with in the first place, right? You know, and how do we welcome new people into spaces where we, uh, you know, want to say that those spaces belong to the folks that are already there, but, you know, it's continued agreements. And so, you know, for us, it's, it's literally an ongoing conversation about how people can live amongst each other uh, and continue to agree upon the terms in which we want to, to live by and understanding that we can always make changes. So in our home, the Constitution is not a static document, right? Our family Constitution is not a static document. It is something that is ongoing living and breathing, um, and that they they have rights. They have rights. Did I miss anything? Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, I, I love that. Uh, they have rights. And knowing your rights and understanding them and, 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 and knowing you have a voice and using your voice and encouraging them, I think is so important uh, for our kids nowadays. And, um, and so thank you for that. Well, now I want to I want to turn it over to uh, the, the youngins. You know, there's a lot of hard stuff that's going on in our world right now. Right. When I when I think about just reading the headlines from today, we got the Delta variant that's still surging while kids are going back to school. We got, um, you know, climate change, which is just really devastating uh, the entire planet here, you know, talking about voting, we have a recall uh, election going on, not to mention what's been going on in Afghanistan uh, in the last couple of weeks, right, among hundreds of other things that are going on simultaneously. So there's a lot of hard stuff that's going on. Um, Garvey and, and Amina, if you could sort of share a little bit, how do you and your friends talk about these these things that are going on in the world right now and um, in other hard topics? And um, for example, did you have conversations? And if so, what were they about around the actions in our nation's capital on January 6th? Um, how, how are you all, how are young folks talking about these, these things? Um, Garvey, I'll start with you. Um, well, firstly, um, I don't know about everyone else, but friends are people who are close to you and feel comfortable with you. Um, so I think that just that relationship makes it a little bit easier to talk to them um, about hard topics. And um, going into uh, conversations, you need to make sure that the person feels comfortable talking about it in the first place, um, that their family wasn't affected by anything, making sure that they're okay. Um, um, going to the January 6th situation, when my friends and I were talking about it, we mostly talked about the people affected um, just because I don't think that talking about like the actual capital that can be rebuilt, but the people affected, it's way harder to um, just grasp the fact that they might've been injured. Things might've been stolen from them. Documents might've been stolen that are irreplaceable. Um, so yeah, that's, yeah, thank you for that. Amina. Yeah, I think uh, I just want to reiterate Garvey's point where like when you're speaking with friends um, and and friends, you know, sometimes include people with different opinions, you want to make sure that 
you're you're comfortable and they're comfortable um, speaking because these are not historical events where we can just kind of talk and debate. Like people are dying. People are, um, you know, I, I have Afghan friends um, and I have people who, it's, 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 these are serious conversations. And so I, I really think that that was a really great point. Um, but, and I do want to preface this, you know, I'm in law school. So um, sometimes these conversations that I have with friends can get heated, especially because some of my friends are a lot older than me and some are younger, um, quite younger. And, and so it's kind of interesting seeing the different perspectives and the different amount of knowledge. And sometimes even though I feel like I may know this, this, and this, or I have this political belief or whatever, I have to step back and be like, well, maybe this person can educate me. This person has gone through different things that I have gone through. I have friends who were in Afghanistan who are law students at my school. And I feel a certain kind of way about the war that we are just now putting pulling out of. But it would be... I don't feel that the training that I've received from my mother and from my community would be put to use if I shut that person down. I would rather learn and then put my morals, my ethics, my values on someone's lived experience saying like, okay, you feel this way and you lived this. How do I feel about what you've just told me and how can I... Um, politics and just civic engagement in general is it's just it's a very it's always an active exercise nothing is black and white and so we all have political beliefs but um I think that having these conversations you just you have to take a step back and remember that the universe does not center around you and your beliefs and and really take it as an opportunity to learn I have to check myself like seriously I have to be like Amina you don't know everything. You are 25. Uh, and you grew up in one of the most progressive places in the world. It's like, this is, you know, your reality is not the reality. So um, that's kind of the lens that I look at it from. I try to read as much as I can. I like to read fiction. So sometimes like keeping up on everything is very difficult. And I think that that's okay as well. Like you just, you can't know everything. It's so hard. And so being gentle with myself and giving myself grace, but also saying, it's okay that you don't know it, but why don't you do something about the fact that you don't know it, you know? Um, and so I think that just always taking time to educate yourself and educate your friends if they're open to that. And if they're not, maybe don't have that conversation with them. Kind of like Garvey said, like if they're not comfortable with being told something that is different, then, you know, maybe not. But um, I think that that's kind of how you have to approach those conversations. And I think that the, the generation that I'm from, and I think the generation Garvey that you're from and my sister's from, not to speak on you, I think that um, specifically the Gen Z generation is, actually, is better than mine. And I think that we'll just continue getting better at being open and continuing, so. Yeah, um, thank you, friend. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> One quick thing um, about like reading up on stuff. Um, I think that it's also really important to make sure the things that you're reading up on are unbiased so that um, your conversations don't become 
kind of corrupted um, with like fake information if you're bringing that into your um, conversation. So yeah, I just want to add that. Yes, definitely don't want any fake news. Um, so Suzanne, share with us a little bit about what you've done. I believe um, Daniel uh, is your son. What have you done to encourage Daniel to get more civically engaged? And has he shared with you um, you know, some of the some of the ways that he and his friends talk about what can seem really, really heavy at times, the heavy things that are going on in our world today? Well, I think, uh, thanks for asking the question, because I, I wanted to make sure that I said, um, you know, I not only taught him, but we lived it. You know, there were people around my table um, which sometimes hard to do where we live, unfortunately, but there were people around my table that reflected the diversity that I told him that we wanted for, for his life. You know, if I just told him that, but everybody around the table looked like us, then I'm not sure that he would have received it that well, but we've lived it. And uh, just my relationship with Carolyn is a, is a great example of what he's witnessed in, in, in our lives. And, um, you know, and thank God for the trans community because a lot of that played in played into that. Our our house our house changed after I transitioned. It was even more diverse, and and I think that was really important. Um, he also saw the work I do um, <clears throat> with San Francisco Pride, uh, with Trans Heartline, um, and other things. He know he's been to the protest, um, so we we lived it, and I and I'm proud of that. Um, I don't think. I don't think if we had lived it, if we just had to try to uh, teach it to him, I don't think it would have had as much impact. And that's obvious uh, The other people on this panel. It's it just kind of pours through. I wish Daniel was here because you can just see it. And with the relationship between the mother and the kids, or I should say mother and young adults, I apologize. I'm old. Um, as far as his friends, you know, um, I love it when his friends are over, his friends know that I'm politically engaged. Um, um, they've a lot of them are in the Gay Straight Alliance at Samarin High School, and I involved them. Um, I'm president of the board of directors at the Spar Center, and I have involved a lot of his friends in that work. And it's been it's been great, not only just you know to see his friends grow up with him, but also to see them work to 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 do the work with them. Um, and they, you know, I think I think it's great they. They know what's going on in the world. They're often talking about it around our table, but they also have joy. They, they, you know, they have joy still. And it would be easy if to sit here and, and think about the, hot, the the headlines that are going on. I despair. I mean, you all know on this panel, the people that I'm from, a lot of them are the people that supported what happened on January 6th. Sometimes it seems hopeless from, you know, for, from the people that that we're from it, it sometimes seems hopeless but those kids they have joy they they find joy in me they treat me i i transitioned like, like i said when he's in sixth grade so all this group of kids they saw the transition they did it with me you know the the school parents everybody so i think that's the thing that they've taught me the most that no matter we could be talking about some horrible things but they can turn around and a few minutes later they can they can be happy they can be they can be light and they can move on with their lives and I think that's a a great lesson you know for me yeah no that's beautiful and I'm glad that you mentioned the word joy 
because I think so much of, of being able to survive and be resilient in the world that we're in right now is not losing hope, but more importantly, not losing our joy. Um, and, and so thank you for sharing that because I do think that that is a really, um, important thing that even in the struggle that we're able to find joy, that even amongst all of the hurt and and pain that we're still able to find joy, um, and beauty, uh, in this world and in our lives. So thank you for that. Um, you know, I want to hear from the kids in terms of, and, and, and Suzanne, you shared a little bit about some of the activities that Daniel's involved in. I'm going to hear from Garvey and Amina, and then maybe you can share if you know any other extracurricular activities that you kids are, are involved in that, um, you know, where you find joy and where you're able to be specifically engaged, um, or as Amina was sharing, reading fiction, where you just is, is your outlet for disconnecting from the real world, right? Uh, what are what are some of the the ways that you spend your extra time, your your extracurricular um, time, uh, Garvey, and then Amina, and then Suzanne? If you if you know of any of the the the, the things that Daniel's involved in. Um. Well, before quarantine, I used to be on two sports teams, and um, unfortunately, I can't be on them anymore. So I spend lacrosse and field hockey. And now I spend my time um, mostly on a gaming platform called Roblox. And these days, I'm, I really enjoy trying to spread awareness for um, what's it oh, virtual blackface, which is something that I saw in the Roblox community. And I'm trying to er- not erase, but educate people why it's similar to real life blackface and why it's bad and we shouldn't do that. And um, also, I joined a club at school called Diversity Club, um, and we try to make our school not more diverse, but just learn about each other's cultures and just bring each other in and welcome each other, so... She's also learning how to like code. Like Garvey is not going to tell you all, all of the things, but she's learning scripts so that she can code her own game in Roblox, right? Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, there's other things that you're doing too. You don't want to share. Okay. I'm embarrassed. She's like, don't tell all my secrets, mom. Right. Right. <laughs> you, mom. <laughs> Amina. Yeah. Um, I am trying to think of all the things that I've done and do and, you know, you always draw a blank. Um, So right now I um, am in the intellectual property and patent clinic and um, I'm just starting this year, but essentially what we do is we provide free patent advising and resources to the community, to entrepreneurs or designers who um, don't have the ability to consult with a firm patent lawyer. Um, and so just starting that, and I'm really excited. I am also um, setting my sights on joining the Howard Public Interest Law Society. I didn't get a chance to join my first year um, just because it's so intense, but um, I would love to join that. I'm actually working for the professor who's the director of public interest programming here at Howard. And um, I'm really, really passionate about getting students into public interest um, jobs and just into programming. And even if they go to firms pushing pro bono and letting them know that there are organizations out there that 
need them and want them to do that work and people out there who need them. And um, Howard is a great place to do that. And I think that even for the more, the students who are more fo focused on corporate work, there's a, um, a stress on pro bono work. And we have a pro bono pledge here where you have to complete a number of pro bono hours before you graduate um, because it's, it's so important. And so um, those are some of the things that I, do and love to do um for my community and my passions but you know I also I love to watch Netflix I love to read fiction um fiction novels I think that you know as I get older and it feels like my world just kind of like melts together like I, I find more and maybe this is because of the age and the period that I'm growing in but I find that I there's so many things um like fiction novels of kind of regarding social justice. I recently read um, Octavia Butler uh, book for the first time and I loved it and I love her. And so, um, you know, I just, I, that's kind of how everything is like coming together. And I love it so much. Awesome. Suzanne, has Daniel yeah, shared with Daniel. you some of the other things that he's involved in? Daniel's a musician. That's his first thing. Uh, he was a musical theater star from the time he got to Samarin High School. Um, of course, COVID kind of derailed that. They just had built a new theater, and they never they never got to perform there. It was kind of sad. Um, but Daniel also was the lead singer, had his own rock band all through high school, um, and he was he was always in service to the, to the music um, program at San Marin. He did, he ran sound for them. He's just, he loves to help. And I love that about him. Um, he now, he, he tutors, um, he has his own tutoring business because he's majoring in mathematics at Cal Poly. And so he has his own tutoring business that he, that he's do, doing online um, for, I think three groups of, of three families with kids. So um, he's real busy and mature and, and uh, I'm really proud of him. And he's always, you know, he when we when we ran the warming shelter um, several years ago, when he was six, seven years old, he would go with me and help. He did the work, and I love that about him. He he likes the work. Wow, an entrepreneur already with his own business, tutoring, and um, and a musician. Um, you know, I, I read a quote many, many years ago that I that I believe to be true, and that is that music is a universal language um, that uh, that we all understand, um, and so that is uh, beautiful. Um, parents, I want to I want to I want to ask us one more question before we move to audience Q and A. Um, you all have done a brilliant uh, job of raising. Uh, smart, engaged, thoughtful, um, empathetic children. And I think that's something that we really um, are missing out on in this world is empathy. And, 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 and that appears that you all have, that has been woven into your parenting um, of, these, of these beautiful um, humans. Um, what can other parents do uh, to, to raise the next generation of um, compassionate, um, not just civic leaders, but human beings. 
Um, and um, what what are, what 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 do you have to share for for the for the for the for the new parents who are you know um, struggling to to try to figure this all out? Latif, I'm going to start with you. I love that question, and I, I think about actually three three things. Um, no one can raise a child on their own, even if you're a single mother. You know, I have a very, very close friend. Her name is Kriya Gomez, and she has six kids. And one of the things that I always think about, and Amina grew up around Kriya's kids, is that Kriya is a brilliant activist and organizer and mother. Um, and, you know, she has, she's married. But not only is she an amazing mother, she's trained her children to be good people. Deep, deeply good. Good. Not to step over people lying in the streets to understand that meritocracy is a lie and that all hard work is meaningful from the person right now who's cleaning someone's room to the person who's sitting behind a desk who never needs to lift their fingers. Hard work is meaningful and people should not be poor. I've been trying to raise my kids with those deep values um, of seeing people of, of knowing that the worst thing that someone has done is not the full equation of who they are and what their soul means to the world. Um, I'm still learning from other parents. I would not have been able to get through the hardest moments of my life if it were not for folks whose politics met their compassion and their acts and their deeds that love is, is deeply a verb. Um, you know, after losing my husband, I, I had more food in my refrigerator than we could hold. My kids saw that. They experienced so much love and support that sometimes we didn't want to even open the door. We were so overwhelmed. My kids felt that. They will, in fact, then return and know how, even when it seemed like too much, they got how that that love, that deep love from our neighbors that we didn't know to our very close friends kept me as a mother in a space to be able to go back out and fight for community when I got the, the spirit to muster up after deep, deep grief. Um, I think as mothers, as parents, we can be students, again, of our children. Um, they don't belong to us, right? We're raising them so that they could be part of something sort of bigger than ourselves. And I think, Amina, I tell you this all the time. Um, I am your mother, but like, I'm kind of like myself first. I just happen to have some kids, but there is absolutely no guidepost. And I've read the books and there, there's, there's no, there's no instruction about how to raise children. But what we can do is tell them the truth, tell them the truth, our truths. We can also make sure that we apologize um, this is not a mothering sort of, this is apologize for things that we did not understand. Our kids um, are, are so uh, much more intersectional in how they see the world, um, how we think of race and how we think of queerness and how we think of gender, um, the, the ways in which they will evolve us if we would just stop and listen and, and heed to the folks who are actually going to be making decisions over how we live soon enough. So that's, that's not only my advice, that, that's the advice that I've been getting. And I, I think it's paying off. I have some really great kids. Yeah. You, you're going to keep them, right? You, you think you're going to keep them? They might. Yeah. Layla yeah. can come over on Friday, by the way, with a backpack. <laughs> Kimberly is one of those okay. people who have saved me when I needed a break. Here's the kid. <laughs> well, tell her I have some extra cookies in the, in the freezer that I need help eating. So send her over. Um, Suzanne. What, um, what say you? 
Well, I mean, Latifa already kind of kind of said what I wanted to say, but the biggest thing I think is being open and honest. Uh, in my in my case, uh, you know, I've been in recovery for almost twenty years, and uh, my son is aware of my shortcomings and and is aware of my history, is aware of the obstacles. He knows that I I am a flawed human being, but he has also been taught that I can turn around and make an amends. I can own. And I think that that's hard to do as a parent. Sometimes you don't want to, to tell the truth. You don't want to be honest. You don't want to be open because you you want, you want, you don't want to be infallible, but I think it's the best thing I've ever done is, is, is drag him along to AA meetings with me. And, and he has seen my humanness and he, he knows that if he makes a mistake in life, he knows the process to turn around and own it and make amends. And um, I think that connects us. And I think that's what makes us empathetic to people. Daniel's seen some very good people talk about some bad things they did in their life. And, you know, that was like, that was like the biggest turning point in my life. A counselor once told me that um, you have done some very bad things, but you're not a very bad person. And I think he learned that very young. Um, it took me, it took me about half a lifetime to learn that, but I think that's the most important thing to creating an empathetic atmosphere where your kid can thrive. Yeah, indeed. Thank you. Amber. Yeah. Oh my God. So much beautiful wisdom being shared. Um, You know, I would say that if we want to raise empathetic people, we got to be okay with relinquishing dogma. Um, you know, so people believe that a certain religion or a certain political party or a certain lifestyle or a certain school or a certain whatever is going to be what is going to influence your child or make them a better person. When in all actuality, it's the constant everyday work that is necessary to correcting, right? When siblings argue, jumping in there and like having a conversation about what is this person feeling? What are you feeling? Why are we having this disagreement and working through that together? Um, I think religions and political parties and ways of living, they're frameworks, but that is not the answer to, you know, getting it right. So that's, that's what I would say. Relinquish, your, relinquish any dogma. <laughs> relinquish it. Like, be free yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Let it go. <laughs> Um, okay, well, we have about five minutes left in the program, so I want to do sort of a lightning round uh, with these last couple questions. Um, the first one is for the parents. You all sort of um, spoke to this a little bit earlier, but I want to put a finer point on it. You know, we talked about civics. We talked about that sort of being carved out of our uh, educational system these days. Um, you talked a little bit about some of the things that you've done. Any other um, one or two things that you've done to, to, to fill in the gaps for your children um, at home with respect to civics? I'll jump in. Lots of James Baldwin. That's what we've been reading. Tons and tons and tons of James Baldwin, Audre Lorde. Um, also, like we talk about current events and we interview people on our podcast so we are always in conversation about what is happening in the world right now um so having those conversations sitting down is carving out that time with your kid to have to talk about like let's talk about the news cycle real quick um so i would say just real quick and i want to save space for other people thank you suzanne 
Latifah? Go, Suzanne. You go. Um, well, I just know I know one particular thing I did before the before the civics. I read the book Education, The Education of Little Tree, with my son, and uh, you know that book that book pokes a lot of fun at white Christians, and. I think we laid some groundwork for the civics lessons later, later by reading that book together. It, it, I know it, it, it impacted both of us that we did that together. So that's just one little thing that we did. Um, I would say, you know, we did a lot of things, um, but the thing that I think that you loved and also got on yours the most is just the consistent singing of freedom songs. <laughs> Lots of freedom songs. Like, I want my kids to know not only the Black National Anthem, but I want them to know and be able, you know, on point to be able to sing the songs that folks sung in the streets, you know, as they battled law enforcement with dogs and fire hoses. I want them to know and understand that culture is is is, is seminal to our ability to continue to fight systems that may feel like they're stronger than us, but that were made by other people. And so they can be transformed. And so much of that was song, was culture, was language, was food, was history. Um, so to, to build house um, that is not a historical, that, 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 that tells the ongoing story. I don't know, Mina, would you agree? Uh, yes, definitely agree. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Um, Okay, Garvey and Amina, what are one or two issues that you care deeply about and take seriously, even if you um, today, Garvey, this is for you, can't vote on it, even if you can't vote on it, um, what, are, what are the issues that, that you're passionate about and you care about? Um, I would say um, mostly healthcare and education. Um, I think that Healthcare is really, really expensive. And some people who are coming from a different country who have low um, income, they can't afford to get the healthcare that they need. So I think that's very important. And education, um, mostly because I think the education system right now is not sustainable for, say, this just next generation. Um, my kids, my grandkids, my great grandkids, I don't think that that's the education system that we have now is going to withstand the test of time. So yeah, I would say those. Thank you. Amina. Yeah. Uh, I want to reiterate what Garvey said and then to just add a couple more after those, it's um, definitely climate change and something I've been very, very passionate about for a long time is uh, reparations um, proportional reparations, not just for Black people, but for all people who have been oppressed, including Indigenous people. And it just, you know, the list goes on and on. So, yeah, thank you. Suzanne, has Daniel shared with you the issues and topics that he's passionate about? Well, definitely agrees with Garvey. Um, he is for universal health care and cannot believe that we live in this country without universal health care. He's also um, very interested in education. He's going to major in mathematics, but he wants to teach uh, high school calculus. So um, he has a lot, a lot like you, Garvey. And I think a lot of people in your generation that that health care and education and that's that that. That said, somebody did something right. If our kids, if that's what's driving them, is, is are those two two goals, then we we did something right. Indeed, indeed. Thank you. So, 
another question for the parents. How would you suggest a grandparent uh, or an aunt or an uncle or other family members um, who might be involved in the raising, to Latifa's point, um, it, you, you can't raise a child alone, it's a village. It's a, it's, it's a whole host of people who support this effort. How would you suggest that those others, the grandparents, the aunties, the uncles, um, really help to uh, in the parenting role of, of creating these engaged and empathetic um, kids? I, you know, my cousin, Carlin, uh, she was a nurse and she was with 10 to one and I was maybe eight or nine. And she took me to um, a strike on the strike line. And it was at St. Francis hospital. And it was like all day and it was cold. And I remember thinking, I want to do this for the rest of my life. Like I got, and I understood why those nurses were out there and what they were doing. Um, and it was one of those fundamental moments, right? It was a fundamental moment of just seeing people in action, like that walked off the job, that were cold, that were sacrificing so much for the dignity of, of important work. So I would say, you know, if, if, if you don't, have the um, responsibility to raise children every single day. There is an opportunity um, to to engage, you know, your, your community members' children if if you are so lucky to do so, and things that inspire you, and and or opportunities you believe that, that those children should be exposed to um, that could forever change them, folks. Um, it, it is a privilege to be able to do activism and organizing. And while it should be a right to be able to stand up for ourselves at every moment, not everyone can do that um, for many different reasons. And so for us who are deeply engaged, whether it's voting rights, whether it's whatever it is, um, being able to take a child to space and place and see how action moves um, and see what it's like to actually fight for this democracy that we were promised, it's a gift, no matter what the age. Mm, beautifully said. Thank you. Suzanne, Amber. Okay. I was just going to add, um, allow your values to be challenged. You know, like if you're a grandparent and you're spending time with your grandchild and they come home with different ideas and different ways of looking at the world, don't lean into your tradition or in the ways that your generation thought, you know, have a dialogue about, you know, why you both think that way and then be okay with not agreeing with your grandchild and also be okay with maybe coming around to a new and innovative and interesting idea. So I would say be okay with being, with being challenged in an intergenerational way. Yeah. I mean, we, our experience, because we live so far from Kentucky and I was, uh, you know, had a difficult, difficult uh, childhood. And so we're not close to, we don't have the traditional people in our life. And um, so, you know, but our friends, our, our house, there always were people in our house and Daniel create, created his own relationships with people. And we didn't regulate those relationships. Those are, those were his relationships from a young age. And I, and I, I will, you know, agree with, you know, take those opportunities. If you can get, be with somebody, you know, if you don't have children, a lot of those people didn't have children themselves. And, and we allowed Daniel to kind of, you know, to receive their love. And I, and I think, you know, especially in the queer community now, we, we uh, create our, we create our own families. 
And we certainly did that with Daniel, and I think he's better for it. I mean, I wish that he'd had the traditional grandparents and seen them a lot, but it just that that wasn't that wasn't part of our makeup. Yeah, thank you for that. So I want us to um, to close up now. Uh, we are officially at time, but I want to I want to open it up for for everyone on the panel to just share. Um, a closing thought or a few sentences um, as it relates to sort of, you know, what it means to be a parent in today's day and age, what it means to be a kid, a young adult um, in this day and age, trying to um, figure it all out, trying to navigate, trying to stay positive, trying to go to school, trying to work, you know, um, and also uh, stay civically engaged and educated and um, aware. Um, and also at the same time, trying to inspire others around us to also take part in, in, in what you just shared, uh, Tiba, fighting for the democracy uh, and the world that was promised us. As we know, it is not free. Freedom is not free. Uh, and as uh, Coretta Scott King said, it is, it is the duty and responsibility of every generation to fight for um, our freedoms. Um, and so parting words uh, for those uh, who are joining us out there in the virtual world um, as we continue this journey of trying to raise um, empathetic and compassionate and smart and thoughtful um, humans, the ones who, as, as was said before, will be taking care of us uh, soon enough. Uh, so with that, um, final words, I'll, I'll start with you, Suzanne, and then um, over to you, uh, Amber, and then Garvey, and then Amina, and then Latifa, you close us out. I just, um, I guess my final thoughts is I, I'm sitting here and it just sat here and kind of hit me in the face. I, I'm really blessed in my life to be, to sit here with strong Black women. And um, yeah, especially in the Bay Area, we have an opportunity to live out lives that that um that we talk about equity and we're trying to find we don't we don't get it right very often but i think this is this panel shows that it, that we're really we're trying and um i think that's the most important thing and um so but i'm really an honor to be with you women a lot yo the feeling's so unusual <laughs> i'm like trying not to cry because this is awesome um i guess my closing words would be um we are all working together to build a reality um, and that requires teamwork and collaboration. And some of us are really excited to be team members and some of us are not, um, but you know, just keep coming back each day. Like just everybody, we need everybody. We need everybody. What, what would you speak? Um, being a kid, things are changing at a rapid pace. So um, just staying, together and being nice to each other and just keeping up with everything like yeah that will help um yeah I think to bounce off that growing up in this age I think we're constantly overwhelmed with information and terrible disastrous events and um you know things that are going on um, that really affect everyone globally and so just remembering that you have to operate in love, whether you're a parent teaching a child, if you're a child watching this with your parent, you know, just it, it's, we all make mistakes and we're all doing our best at every point that we can, but just 
treating people with love and doing the work that you do, whatever you do with love. And, and so going through the worlds like that. Um, I would say, I love this conversation more than anything. You know, my goal is just to try to raise free black girls, free girls of color, um, free children of color. Freedom again is, is this large concept, but knowing that, they will have a birthright of going and being and living and loving. And so much of the hard things that are out there um, can in fact transform. I want um, my children to be fearless, um, to be able to face confrontation and pivot with clarity, right? Um, and for them to again, see me saying sorry when I've gotten something wrong. Um, to understand power and the limits of it, um, and to be able to challenge um, power when it is evil and it is destructive, and to know that they actually not only can have the skill and the might to do it alongside other folks, um, but that it is their responsibility to shake down tyranny. Again, to your point um, about moving our folks towards civic, civic life, it's their responsibility to chant down Babylon, to chant down tyranny. Um, they were lucky enough to be born in a time where movement, movement and organizing um, is, is what is expected of us. So, yeah. yeah. Hope you hear that, Mina. Yeah. Thank you um, for that, and 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 thank all of you. And I'll just and I'll just sort of um, end by sharing that, um, you know, just to build off of what Latifa was saying. I think that there are. You know, those um, in the world who have the privilege and the luxury to not be engaged and involved in civics, um, for many of us, we don't have a choice. Um, we are sort of born into it. And then there are those who actively choose to be a part of it. But for those who are either in it because, because they don't have a choice or who choose to be in it, um, I believe that we are choosing to, um, to be in the struggle. Uh, and to be in the trenches every day and, 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 and to, you know, put on our battle gear. Uh, as we go out and we fight to create that world of justice and fairness and equity for all of us. And as we do that, what my sort of final parting words would be, um, would be for something that I, I've always known, we talk about it, aren't so good at actually doing it, but I think became crystal clear during this last COVID um, period. And that is the importance of taking care of ourselves, the importance of making sure we fill our well because we cannot give uh, from, an, from a place of emptiness and, and from an, uh, an empty well. So making sure that we take care of our mental, our physical, our emotional, our spiritual uh, well-being, I think is going to be incredibly important as we continue to do the work that we do, the parents out in the world, to create this world and, our, and to be able to uh, teach and learn from uh, the, these incredible humans that, that we are um, helping to raise. And so with that, I want to um, thank Suzanne and Daniel for being with us in spirit. I want to thank Amber and Garvey and Amina and Latifa for, for making time in your busy lives to join us and share your brilliance and your genius with us. I want to thank Carolyn Weisinger, uh, who produced today's show and the Commonwealth Club uh, and the Creating Citizens Initiative um, and for our tech team and for all of you out there who have joined us um, 
thank you uh, for, for being a part of this conversation. We look forward to uh, great things from you, from you, from you, uh, youngins, uh, no pressure, but pressure, <laughs> um, and helping to, um, to bring about this world that we know is, is possible. So with that, uh, we bid you all farewell, blessings, and we look forward to the next conversation. Be safe, take care, continue to wear your mask. You've been listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting our work and help us bring 500 programs a year to listeners like you. Go to commonwealthclub.org donate. Think your way around the world with our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live at our events. Thank you for listening and for your support.